thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Welcome back. If you've missed part one of Alba's story, we strongly encourage you to go back to that first installment of her story and give it a listen before you jump in with us uh, in part two. Where we left off last time we were together was Alba really struggling with a strong sense of fear and uh, separateness from her family. And today she's going to take us from that history of horrific child abuse and a move from her home country into the United States and uh, more solid integration into her family. Thanks for being here. And so I think the whole trajectory of 10 years was me growing again. Mm-hmm. A lot of there's growth. That, a lot of there's growth. There's that theme, yeah. yes. That is my theme. I should be all about the grower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious because it was me growing up again. I came in in a very teenager body, and but my mentality was very five year old or nine year old, and I just I needed different things from my parents to fill in that holes, many holes that I had in me that was keeping me from growing and becoming 
this person that I should be, you know, and achieving things, you know, without being so painful or struggling. And, uh, and yeah, I, I feel bad for her to be honest. I mean, for your mom. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she knew what she was signing up for. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm a mom, I really feel for her. And so once in a while I call her and I tell her, I really love you. I don't know how you did it. I really love you. And she's like, well, I'm glad, you know, <laughs> you know, so I, it gives you that appreciation. But, uh, but no, after 10 years, I knew then of working with them and trying to really heal and not just heal by myself. And the beautiful part was healing with them. Mm -hmm. That was the magical part for me. Well, it's like you said earlier when you were talking about your childhood, you said that it, it broke you and shattered you to pieces. It did. And it sort of sounds like this chapter stitched you back together. Yeah. And stitched you not just back together by yourself, but stitched you into your family. Totally. I was not feeling that it was just me anymore. I was feeling like I have, even though she didn't give birth to me, it felt like I've never felt this connection with anybody. I never felt somebody wanting me hmm. like this. Look at my birth mom. You know, and it was so wonderful to feel wanted and that you're a joy, even in the midst of my craziness. And yeah. Going even wild. in the midst of chaos. <laughs> yes. yes. And that's why I'm like, so I'm like, seriously. And I even, I, in that trajectory of those 10 years, I always ask myself, why do you love me? I mean, I'm, I felt like I was a hot mess and I'm like, I'm a hot mess. How can you love me? But you do. You're so stubborn, lady, you know? <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. She just, she's one of those people that pours her heart out. And she just pours it out. And she just has so much to love to give. And that's something beautiful she taught me. And I'm grateful for that. But it was not easy. It yeah. was definitely not easy, but it was a lot of work that I, I'm glad that we did it together because I think um, working together with somebody that cares and loves you, it gives you more empower to get through the dark times. And I know I my whole sexual abuse and abandonment issues and all of that, it was really hurting me in many levels. And still to this day, I still struggle with relationships. Like I then, no, I will say no, but still I do. That trust is very hard for it me to tested. get. It gets tested. It does get tested. Yeah. Once that template is laid, it gets tested. Totally. And see, more room to growth once again. Yeah. So what's the next thread after adoption that you want to weave into? Oh, gosh. See, and this is the hard part because I'm like, so many things have happened in my life that I think are very crucial. Um, I would say death, definitely death. I, uh, I got involved with this person that I love dearly and uh, I spent six years with him. And I definitely could tell I still have daddy issues. 
I've had so many issues. I didn't know how to hold a relationship healthy enough because I was still trying to work on myself, but I was still trying to work on the relationship. But it taught me that I'm a committed person. If I'm if I want to be with somebody, I'm committed to trying and giving my best. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a broken relationship all the time. That was not me. But that person was not in the same place. As I was growing, he was not growing with me. So I felt he was I was leaving him behind and I was trying to reach out. And I got to a point that it was not healthy. But yet when I tried to leave him, and that took me a long time and counseling to to get to that point. And I did get to that point. Where you were ready to go. When I was ready to go because we were just in different places. And I was, yeah. And sadly, it's not what I wanted because I hate to have broken relationships. But... Yeah, so I had the plan to leave, but then he got news that he had cancer. So I couldn't leave. That was hard. That was that was very sad. Because even though I was ready to leave him, I still love him. It's not like I didn't. Right. And then get on top of that. I had mixed emotions here. I was trying to leave, but yet I can't leave now. I have to help him get through this. And that was that was a challenge for me. Trying to live my life helping this person, another person that is leaving me. Another person that has abandoned me. That's how I felt. No other abandonment. The cancer made another abandonment? Yeah, he died for cancer, yeah. There's another abandonment. It's another. Especially the thing that I got so mad about it is that it was a type of cancer that if he would have checked, just have regular tests, he would have caught it on time. And I felt like he didn't think about the people around you, especially me, to get himself checked. And, you know, you always try to be healthy and not just for you, but for the people around you. And that's when it comes to my motto is like, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can to keep healthy. Because if I get sick, it's not on me that I was not trying it's just because I had a bad hand in my, you know, right, coming to me, and it was just a bad spin of the wheel. Exactly, yeah. but it's not me not taking care of me mm-hmm. and making that a sad moment for my family more than it is, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was very going through a lot of emotions with him and experiencing how he was dying and living his life as he was dying. And that was, that was definitely an eye-opener, how I wanted to live my life and how I even wanted to die. And by the end of it was the day of when he died. And that was, it was very hard. 
that was the day that I remember talking to my mom, to my adoptive mom, and I said to her, I'm letting him go today. I think he just needs to let go. And I did, and I felt such a peace. And just hours later, the nurse came and she's like, please come in fast. And I ran into the room and when I, as I got into the door, he stood up. Oh, wow. And then he just had these wild eyes and it just felt like he looked through me. Like he just didn't see me anymore, he just looked through me. And, and it was like, I felt this big wave just go through me and I rushed to him and I said, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay if you go. And he just left. So I guess I was... When people die from cancer and you're just dealing with that, I think you're just in this gloomy space that you feel a relief when they die, Mm. but yet you're sad because they died. Mm But yet we don't talk about so much in the society about how relieving it is actually when somebody dies. Yeah. Especially when they're so sick. Exactly. But it is. It is a release. Not only for them going, but for you that is like, I'm sorry, but this was so emotionally draining. And so hard. So hard to watch. Yes. It's traumatizing for it so is. many families. It is. Seeing this person that you thought you knew deteriorate into bones and into this person that you don't know at all, that is becoming more quiet, not eating much, not laughing with you much. And all the things that we share was just disappearing. Everything was disappearing. So, yeah, that was, that was huge for me to experience my partner then died. So that's definitely something I will never, never forget. But I'm glad I did it because... Glad you stayed. I'm glad I stayed, yeah. Because I think it would have broken his heart to do this by himself. And I'm not that type of person either that I would leave somebody hurt, just stay hurt. No, I'm the type of person that I will definitely will go seek help or give you help or do anything. And I'm proud that I did. I'm proud that I did stay with him and not leave because that's what he was needing. He was needing, again, a partner just to help him get through this. Somebody to walk him to his death. Yeah. How long was that process from the diagnosis to when he passed? It was about two years, I would say. It's a long road. It was surgeries and just ERs. The ERs was uh, the crazy times, though. I remember just trying to put him in the car. And he was so loopy because of all the medication and he was just trying to get out of the car when I'm trying to put him in the car and go drive. And it was just, or fighting me that, no, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. And making decisions and for somebody else is really rough and you're trying to do the best that you can. 
but it's, it, may, it was making it harder when he was fighting me at times on it. So, yeah, it was very long. I feel like I definitely lost a lot of joy in that time of my life. It was very sad time of my life, but at the same time, it was an honor to, to actually help somebody get through that. And I did the best that I could for what I knew then. Yeah, it was very honorable. So that's, that's definitely another big piece in my life that has definitely shaped me into where I want to be now and has helped me into the path that I'm taking right now. So. So we just keep pulling these threads together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but after that, I will say the other big one is um, the big kaboon of my life is when I decided to become a mom. You know, so that was, that was an interesting decision because honestly, I was not planning on becoming a mom, at least not by birth. I was actually thinking, you know, I'm going to adopt, I'm going to keep my figure. I was so self-conscious. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I just didn't want to be one of those Latina women that just, uh, you're typical that they're beautiful then they let go of themselves and they're just not who they are anymore I was thinking I'm gonna keep myself I'm gonna be the biker chick and slash student slash just the dancer that just gonna make my rules how about the everything who's growing in a zillion directions at once I know and and I see I love that rebel in me because okay so I was dating I started dating uh, my partner now the, who is my partner right now um we're going to call him B. So B and B and I were just, we met and we've been together for, you know, a few years. And then just, I turned a birthday, a big number of my birthday. And I was just, all I could see was babies everywhere. <laughs> you got the fever. I got the fever and I hated it because I'm like, no. This is not the plan. This is not my plan. This is not my rebel plan. What's going on? And But but that's one of the curveballs that, you know, that one I didn't see it coming at all, though. Um, but the beauty of it is once it hit me, I was always being honest with him. And I said, well... We've been dating for so long. I uh, I don't expect you to say yes to this, but I'm ready to have a family. Are you in or are you out with this? You know. And I feel so bad for being so direct, but I needed to be because I knew I was gonna get pregnant no matter what that year somehow. Somehow. You're just you knew it in your gut. Yeah. And I had all these expectations in my head and thinking. I'm going to be a better mom than my mom. I'm going to be not quite my adopted mom, but a similar and a better version, more rebel version of that. And I'm going to do this and this and this and this and that. Um, to my surprise, he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting a yes. Actually, no. You were was, expecting a walk away. Yes. 
Oops. I was expecting a walk away because that's all I have experienced. Another walk away because, like I said, relationships always have been a struggle for me. Any type of relationship always have been a struggle. And, um, but I always tried to give it my best. I always am the romantic person that just wanted to make things work one so badly to have something beautiful and intimate with somebody. That's, I love that. I just, sometimes I fail on knowing what am I doing wrong or right in the relationship to make that happen. Plus, I think you gotta find the right people too. Some people are very close that you cannot even crack, even if you wanted to. Yeah. But he was crackable and he did. And so we decided to have this um, this baby and I was so ready. We. Um, it was very sad for me though because I, I have this deal within my body that I was struggling getting pregnant and I went to the doctor and I went to do doctors and the doctors were telling me, well, you got 1% of Chance. getting pregnant. Yeah. Cause you have all these things going on. And so I was very shattered. I was very shattered. I was feeling like here I am. My body's experiencing this drive. Let's have and make a baby. And yet it's failing me at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, seriously, <laughs> Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you, life? <laughs> um, but, you know, things happen in a mysterious way. And I, uh, I remember it was Valentine's Day and I was crying that day. And I told my honey, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do our baby. He's like, it's okay. I have a planned evening, a fun evening. So we don't have to think about that. And let's just have fun. <laughs> okay. Of course, me being so emotional, poor guy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, he really, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> I mean, but so he took me to my favorite place to eat and then we went to comedy works and we're laughing and just came back home and, and it was the beautiful part that happened that night. He's like, you know what? You want to give it a chance to the 1% that we have? And I'm like, it's only 1%. That's too much for me. And I've been thinking, oh my gosh, this is so much pressure. But he's actually telling me that he's willing to try this 1%. And I say, yes. And it was a miracle. I got pregnant that night without knowing. And I, when I found out I was crying, I was in, uh, I'm like shocked yeah. and in disbelief. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the 1% one happened. happened. How On Valentine's day. I know. So cheesy, right? No, it's so <laughs> awesome. But I was, it's poetry, but it happened. And I was so excited because yeah, 1%, that's 1% we're talking here. Yeah. And, and can I tell you, I love being naked and pregnant. Oh, that was the best moments of my life with that big belly and knowing that, oh my gosh, I could carry that child. And yeah, I was in heaven until I got sick and, um, and that was, that was a struggle. And so I had help syndrome and more complications with that. And so can you tell our listeners what help syndrome are, what help syndrome is? Because I think 
uh, some people may be familiar, but a lot of listeners may not. I would say it's like the worst preeclampsia that you can get. It's like your body just fighting you. And if you want to make it more simple, it's your body fighting you and you're pregnant and both the baby and I were just not in good place. We're not in a good rhythm of being healthy. We were just, yeah, we were unhealthy. My body was unhealthy and it was affecting the baby. And so the doctor told us that I needed a C-section and this is when it gets blurry for me. And this is when I rely on my family to tell me more of the details because I have forgotten a lot of the details. The only beautiful thing that I remember, my own memory that is my own, is when my son was born. I was in the operation room and I I couldn't see anything. They were doing a C-section. But I saw my partner come in, B, and B was like, oh, he's coming out. And, And then he looked at him and he's like, and he looks like this. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And that's it. That's all I remember of the birth. Everything else is just pictures and a couple videos and that's it. Um, so I got so sick that I, my body was shutting down. Was was it fuzzy? I'm sorry to draw you back, but was it fuzzy for you because of HELP syndrome? Or do you think it was fuzzy for you for other reasons? Uh, I think... This is what I believe. I believe my body was very ill and it was affecting my head. The illness was just, yeah, I was yeah. septic. Yeah. I was very septic. I mean, I was shutting down and I think that affected that. And I think life is beautiful in some areas and your body's beautiful in some areas that maybe it just doesn't want to make you remember those horrible moments mm. and just is protecting you. And just maybe, and I'm thankful for the few beautiful ones I remember, mm-hmm. you know? So I believe those two are go hand to hand. And thank you, Brain, for putting those in the black file that I don't want to see. <laughs> you know? And, and But it's okay if I see, because I do remember some of the bad too. But yeah, it, it was a beautiful, crazy way of seeing it. But I, I, that's how I see it, though. Definitely. Um, so you, so you got sick. You, you were saying that your body is shutting down and very septic. Yes. And I didn't know if I was going to live or die. I didn't know. And I questioned that a lot. And two months in the hospital was, was a lot for me to handle. And that's when things were really bad in every way because my partner... My partner was MIA for for a while that I remember. The things that I remember, I didn't see him. I only saw my parents, my adoptive parents. And I was asking for him and for the baby. And it was weird because I remember waking up and I went in the hospital pregnant. And now I'm like, I'm just 200 pounds of water everywhere in my body. I was like an elephant. I was just all the liquid it was just overflowing in my body and it's so ill but I didn't see the baby and I didn't see my partner I just saw my parents and that was hard for me it's like a nightmare and what is going on and frustrating because I was fighting for my life and and my rock were there. My parents were there. But I was hoping to see more of my partner there. 
but I didn't get to see that. It was really hard because I wanted, if I was going to die, I said I wanted to be with everybody that I love, at least see them. But that was not the case. So um, the way that it happened though, I uh, actually, it was a month, about a month and a half or so in the hospital and then I was released for a little bit. I went home for a week, but I got too sick that I had to go back and that's when I had to have surgery. They had to clean my whole body because I was still too ill and put tubes inside of my body and drain all the bad stuff out. And so for about five to six months, I was with tubes. And after the two months, you know, being in the hospital, I was released to go home with my tubes. And that's when I got to see actually, and got to experience what to be a mother was and actually hold my baby once in a while. I was too weak to hold it. I went to, uh, from 200 pounds of fluids and everything to 110. I was bones. And, uh, and so that was hard because I was very weak. I couldn't walk. I was depending on people washing me, doing a lot of things for me. I, I was like a baby myself. So, well, and your mind was there. Your mind was back. You were not, your brain wasn't protecting you from the awful stuff anymore. You were in it. Yes. That I remember very well. <laughs> yes. So darn brain, you failed me there. <laughs> no, but that's okay. It was, you know, humbling. Yes. Exactly. At least I have those memories and it's good to have those memories. A great reminder of where I was and where I am now. And it's a beautiful thing to look back. It was not beautiful then. It was horrible and terrifying. But I remember seeing my son and thinking that something was off. Something was wrong. But I didn't say to everybody. Um, but throughout the whole sickness, actually... I got to see my birth mom. She came to the States to help me out. That was a big surprise. Was that your call? Or your no, that call? was definitely not mine at all. <laughs> not at all. I was it was never expecting her for her to do that. It's yeah, that was threw me off. And I was like, but I need somebody to help me, okay. Yeah, after all these years, here she is. Yeah. And so that was, oh, that's a whole, a whole enchilada by itself. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh gosh. So she, she was helping me through, through these things. And I remember, um, she living with me in the same house and she was, you know, taking care of my son as well as me. It was two jobs she was doing. And your parents were still in the picture. And my parents were still in the picture, but they were not living with me. Of course, they're, you know, they were at their house and I was at mine with... And your partner, because the last we heard of him, he just kind of disappeared on you. I know. Please forgive me. See, this is what a spaghetti I'm talking about. And we have to like, yes, that's an, a meatball that I'm throwing out there. You're right. <laughs> um, so no. So after my visit and my first time that I came back to the, from the one month and a half, I came back home. I talked to him and I was like, where have you been? And all of this. And so we talk about it. And I said, I expect you to be every day in the hospital with my son. Because if I die, I want to see you and my son and you just have left me. And so it was a big, 
thing for him. But what I learned then is that he didn't know, he has never been through an experience like this. And he was misguided, I guess, of what it was the right thing to do for a partner at that moment. And I feel like he was overwhelmed too, and maybe paralyzed and didn't know what to do. But the second time that I had to go to the hospital and surgery and all of that, he did make the efforts. He was there every day after work with the baby. And so that made a more of a difference. And, and it, it told me that I shouldn't leave him then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not yet. <laughs> not yet, but I was, you know, this is my motto. If I'm going to be with somebody, I want them to be in good times and bad times. And I, he has not shown me that. He showed me that, oh, bad times, I'm freaking out, I'm frozen. I'm like, I don't need a person like that in my life. I need somebody. You need the rock. I need my rock. I need my rock. And if you're not a rock for me, well, I'm so sorry. I can't do this. I just can't. And so, but I'm glad he did. He sucked it up. He stuck it up and he brought the baby and he was, I think he was until then, even him, he was growing on knowing how to be a partner as well. There's growth again. The, <laughs> mm. Yes. I can't yes. help it. My brain found it. No. And, but that's, but that's how I live. That's the, that's me. That's that's what we talk about. That is success. Like the little successes that we make in life. I mean, I, I don't see myself just going to school and getting a degree that's successful or having a good job that's successful because no, that is not my case. My case is success is that the little things that I achieve, the little growth that I make every, every time. And, and the more beautiful part is actually that I was growing and he was growing. So we were both growing, you know, together, maybe not learning the same thing, Exactly. Maybe not at the same pace all the exactly. time. Exactly. Not even at the same pace. Yeah. He's a slower than I am in some areas and yet vice versa too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that was huge. That was really huge to have him see that and help me out through that. But, um, but even that didn't prepare me to what I was about to embark because when, like I said, when about five to six months, I, um, I was, I was noticing that my son was off and I did ask my birth mom, do you think he has down syndrome? Hmm. And she's like, no, you're crazy. You're loca. Uh-uh. No. -uh. And trying to convince me that no, he just looks like his papa. And you know, and I'm like, yeah, but okay. And then I let it go and brush it off. But that was always a feeling that something was off. And, um, so once I got stronger, I got to be able to take care of my, my boy and my mom, my birth mom left the country. And so it was just me and my baby. And actually realizing that I have postpartum too <laughs> with all of this. And I didn't know how to love this creature, <laughs> you know? So it was a big, let's bond. Let's see what I can do with you. I was thinking, I, I didn't know you gotta what to get do. to know each other, right? I, exactly. Like you missed, you were in a fog the first couple of years or a couple of years, couple of months of his life. Yeah. And then when you started to wake up, it's not like things were good. No, things were hard as hell. And he was, he attached to my birth mom 
And that was hard on him because Dagger he cried a lot. Heart for you. I know. I know. Especially to her. Why yeah. to her? Yeah. Oh, somebody else. But, you know, the, I'm glad he attached to somebody because that's a healthy thing for a baby to know that it's loved and taken care of. I mean, that's crucial. Mm. Um, but I was very sad that it was to her because it was the one person that her crushed me. Yeah. Mm totally crushed me and so being that though it was a wonderful little time that I got to spend with him until I went to the cardiologist uh, for his heart he has a murmur and the cardiologist was suggesting us that maybe we should do genetic you know testing because he thinks he has this rare genetic disease and I was so in denial and I was like you are cuckoo I'm gonna go somewhere else you are just talking crazy and uh, granted, though, we did have a genetic disorder. We got tested. We got, he has a genetic disorder that is not well known. And uh, that broke my heart then. Yeah. I felt like I was grieving, losing, having a typical child. And I was just couldn't help but to cry for a month. I just was in disbelief, but yet trying to accept all this information and still grieving for my child. And I didn't know how this is what's gonna look like. And I was thinking, why is life throwing me this type of curveball? What am I supposed to learn from this? And why? I mean, and there was a lot of whys, no many answers, but. Uh, but I remember I uh, I went counseling and uh, and that day my my adoptive mom was with me and she's like you know of course that stubborn lady again <laughs> <laughs> and I just love her stubbornness she's like we just gotta figure this out <laughs> that's always her we gotta figure this out we gotta do research <laughs> my research lady. And granted, and then she suggested, you know, you should just check Facebook and see if they have anybody in there with this syndrome. And and boom, Facebook was... There's the network. There was the network. There was all the mothers that had... There were mothers to this beautiful children with the same rare genetic disorder. And I felt so at home. Suddenly a community. Yes. Suddenly I'm like, okay, this is not a scare anymore. I can embark this. I can, I can work with this, you know, having more support, having more information. And, uh, and I decided then, you know what? I am meant to have this child. I, I know it now. I just know it now. I'm meant to have this child. I am meant to do the research. I am meant to advocate for him. I am meant to do the best that I can to get him help to just make him feel he's okay. Because my mission, once I became a mother and I saw all of this big picture was I will not be my birth mom ever. I will not give the same hand that I was given to my child. I will give him something different. And if I can just make mistakes along the way that were not the same mistake that I was, you know, mistakes are okay. As long as it's not the same mistakes there. Yes, mm. exactly. I was very happy with that. 
I just wanted a new story for him. Not the same story that I had, but a new story for him. I love his story. I, I want you in this area and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to kick ass for you. And I'm going to do everything that I can to be the lion mother that I never had in my life because you're worth it. And I want totally him to know that. different message than yes, the way I you want got. him to know that he's love and he's worth it. And I think I've done a good job because I, if you if you talk to him, he's just he knows he's the king of the house and you know <laughs> he knows he rules. But don't get me wrong, having a special and fancy, I will say, it's not special. All children are special. Mine is a fancy high high maintenance child. More high maintenance than I was expecting, but but he's a very fancy dude. And I just love, I love his personality. I don't love some of the issues that I don't know that I have to embark. And yet that's always scary for me at times. But I tell myself, I just got to do more research and figure it out. He's like your um, forever growth hormone. He is my growth hormone. <laughs> Which is like totally is my growth the, hormone. The like key to Alba's luck. I know. You know, it's like this puzzle perfect piece for the ever grower. But see, I believe that it's meant to happen. I'm a person that I think I just want to grow and keep growing like a little plant. Just keep on growing, keep on growing, maturing. You know, and I think he's just the perfect. He begs that of you. He draws it out of me whether I like it or not. Let's put it that way. He draws it out of me whether I'm ready or not. And he draws it out of me sometimes with uh, those eyes or those hugs or kisses or just calling me, Mama. Oh, man. It's just he totally melts me into a place that I didn't think how much a woman can feel love for a child, but yet it makes me so sad. How can my mom, mm. my birth mom, not have felt the same for me? How can she not love me the way I love him? You know, how can... I, I could never even... It's inconceivable. I, I, yes, I could, I could never even think at all of giving him up or sending him somewhere else or not protecting him or just I can just not do that and and she was okay doing all of those things for me and that's a really huge challenge for me it is you can't that. make that math add up no I can't because how can I all this love that I have for him I just how can she not love me this way and I'm thinking well where I am right now and the adult person and the more not so rebel person, the more straightforward thinker person will tell me it's not my fault. She's the one with issues. She's the one that decided that. Right. But it's not because I'm not lovable because I am lovable. And I've proven that. And yeah, nobody can take that away from me anymore. Not even her. You know? Yeah, oh, that's profound. So, I'm happy that 
I have learned that even though I just my relationship with her is complicated and that's another story too um, so that being said this is when things get really crazy this is where things get really crazy <laughs> that's where we're going to bring Alba's story to another pause for today thank you for being with us for this second episode and please join us for the third and final where you'll hear uh, the conclusion of, of Alba's tale um, if you have not listened to episode one, we strongly encourage you to go back and give that a listen so that you've got this whole story in its comprehensive glory and this really uh, remarkable tale of healing and family and growth and forward movement. We'll see you next time. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guess when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears and we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, Please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen, for all of us here at the show, reminding you, catch all the light you can.